This is Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, a podcast series designed to help medical students and residents strategically navigate the process of applying for residency in emergency medicine or to EM-sponsored fellowship programs. I'm your host, Mike Gisandi from Stanford University. Let's get started. Welcome to Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by your friends at Academic Life and Emergency Medicine. And it's editor-in-chief so strong that she doesn't even need a COVID vaccine, Dr. Michelle Lin from the University of California. Hello, Michelle. Hello, hello. I thought I would get one shot from all of them, all the different companies, just in case. That's brilliant. Thank you. I should totally do that. Throw the little card away and start again each time. Start it. Do it over. I love it. Well, Michelle, today's episode is hot off the press information. And we titled it, This is How It Started, This is How It's Going. And to offer their sage advice on navigating this year's unusual match, we have three outstanding program directors. Dr. Cammie Fenning from Prisma Health, University of South Carolina, Greenville. Hi, Dr. Fenning. Hello, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Dr. Ryan Bodkin from the University of Rochester. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. Thanks, Ryan. And Dr. Mike Kimini from Loma Linda University. Hi, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, folks, we are months into the first ever virtual interview season, and we still have many weeks to go before the rank order lists are due. What have our experiences taught us to date? What are the implications for the 2021 match? And what best practices emerged from the COVID-19 rubble? That's what today's panel will talk about. They'll provide a status update on the season and a sneak peek into the match to come. So let's dive right into our panel's discussion. Our first panelist, Dr. Fenning. And, you know, Dr. Fenning, a little known fact about me is that I am a sucker for trending pop culture fads on the internet. I spent much of the start of quarantine attempting to learn TikTok dances with Michelle Lynn and my 12-year-old. I assume everyone listening did the same. And one of my favorite recent Twitter and Instagram themes is this is how it started, this is how it's going. Two photos positioned side by side. Uh, If it's a physician's medicine, it's usually a photo of some cute nerdy kid positioned next to their current photo in a white coat. And my absolute favorite is Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's version, and and you have to check it out. Just gave me all the feelings. So this episode uses that lens to discuss our first virtual interview season, and you get to kick us off with This Is How It Started. So how did you start the season? How did you prepare differently this year? Thank you. I think the first thing I realized was that hope is not a strategy, and it wasn't going away. And so at that point, we really decided to brainstorm and not just brainstorm amongst the program leadership. It was really like the medical students at our medical school, the residents, the faculty, and get some ideas about what their thoughts were on this whole virtual interview season. So step one, I'm going to admit, maybe just like the TikTok, I had to go to my nieces who are nine and 10 and figure out social media a little bit better. I really had to step up the game, Twitter, our blog, our website, because without having all of these in-person opportunities, I knew the internet was going to be even more important than ever before. So that was, I think, if I had to say really step one was really working hard to make sure that we looked good on the computer. So it sounds like a lot of additional work then. Yeah, you could say so. I actually brought on uh, a new member of our leadership team to really focus her energy on developing the blog, keeping the blog going, keeping it updated so that a student didn't come and think that we posted three years ago and not today. We also set up, I think it was like six Zoom hangouts in September through October that were in the evenings. So it was a big ask of the residents and faculty on top of the busy schedule. So this was something we had never done before either to really try to get interest from the community of students that were out there looking. 
So those are like individual hours that perhaps the applicants would have spent on an interview day. They spent those hours ahead of interviewing in the same activities. Is that right? Pretty much. I mean, I would say it's even more so because they got a full, almost a full hour with the chair where in you know, a regular interview day, it was really maybe five minutes or so. So it, it was a big time commitment and a big lift. We also went to every single virtual fair we could find, whether or not it was the speed dating or the EMRA or the SAM or any type of platform that we could highlight who we were more so than this, the one day that you would show up at the in-person conference and stand there and pass out all your swag. It was a, a much bigger lift. You think this was time well spent? hundred percent. I mean, as much as my husband and my children might not agree, I will tell you what we did. And I am so glad we did. We had every student register to come to any of our events. And so then we had their name, their school, their contact information. And eventually we put that idea that if they had come to an event, they had interacted at an event, they expressed interest. We ended up putting that into our rubric when we were picking people to interview. And I think if that was the only benefit we got out of it, it was well, well worth the energy of the team. Well, you know, that's that's really interesting, right? It's it's interview preference signaling, if you will, from the applicants. That's really important information. Folks have talked about signaling as a, a way to perhaps navigate this huge and expanding number of applications we get every year. So that sounds like it worked well. The other thing we did that we are going to continue to do is open up our didactic conference. So on Tuesdays, once a month in September, October, I mean, pretty much every month, we have one day that we open up to the medical students to come. And what we're going to do in January is open up to the students that have already interviewed, give them a chance to see what it'd be like to be a part of our conference, to sit, I mean, sit on Zoom, but interact a little bit through the chat box with the team. Once again, we don't know what we're doing either, but this seems like something if I were a student, I would want to know what am I going to do once a week for my three years of life. So we're trying that too. And we had them register for those as well. So just keeping track has been very, very helpful to me in the explosion of applications that we have. It's so interesting to hear all the positive innovations that came out of a time where you just, you were forced to innovate and lots and lots of things that you benefited from and enjoyed. So I think that's, that's awesome. If you could turn back the clock just a little bit, what would you have done perhaps differently? A hundred percent mistake I made is that our interview day did not involve enough residents. Previous years, you've got residents, the pre-interview dinners, or you've got residents at the interview, you've got residents at the tour, you've got residents that interact with the medical student when they walk to the restroom. And in this case, we had residents on the interview, but that was it. And that was a huge mistake that I recognize, but to try to be consistent and fair for all the students, I didn't want to change up our whole plan midway through. So what we're going to do is more of a post-interview social and have an opportunity for more residents and more students to try and interact in some platform to get a chance to feel really each other's, maybe more their vibe. Because I feel right now that's the biggest thing that I'm missing is the resident input, that the resident feedback, they don't know the candidates like they did before and the candidates don't know them. Yeah, that's important insight both ways. That's, that's really interesting. All right, well, how did the students handle the process? Any standout moments? I will tell you the students have handled it probably better than us old faculty members have. I will tell you those students show up and they act like nothing has changed in their life. I will say the one thing that they definitely are more nervous up front. 
I get, and I'm sure we all do, so many more emails trying to express interest to me or telling me how much they like my program or why they want to come to my program. They've done their homework. Before you get an email that you could tell was kind of probably form email, they changed it to Dr. Kimini or Dr. Bodkin, and it was the same words. But now it's something about my city, something about me as a person, my family, like whatever they can find. So they've been more nervous up front. But once they show up at Zoom in front of me, I don't feel much difference in the actual interview itself. I feel like I'm getting the same information, that they're very honest, other than you can tell they turn their head and they're reading something every now and then, or they're looking at the question they wrote down. I don't feel that part has been much different on their perspective. Yeah, I think the students have been awesome. They've handled this process so well. I've been very impressed. But you know, they're stressed out right now. So do you have any final message for the students at this point in the season? You know, I will tell you that in emergency medicine, resilience, adaptation, you guys are more ready as students than maybe ever before because you have been able to overcome something that none of the rest of us really had to. I haven't walked in your shoes and I feel like you're going to show up mid-June or July or whenever your program starts as a student and really just be ready for the challenge, maybe a bit more than you even recognized before. So props to you. I would say really just keep your spirits up. And if you have questions, ask. We as program directors love what we do and our job is to interact with students as they choose the right program. So don't hesitate to reach out to us if there's anything we can do to try and decrease that stress level at all. I love that. That's such a great message. Thanks. Thanks. That's such great insight. So uh, let's move on though to our next panelist, Dr. Bodkin from the University of Rochester. And you get to do the other half of our photo in the pair. So I'm going to ask, how's it going? I think in the grand scheme of things, it's going, I'd say, better than expected. I think that we all had a lot of anxieties and unknowns about this upcoming year. As Kami said, a lot of initial prep work went into this, a lot more than we're used to doing crash courses and digital marketing and social media and things like that. And we weren't sure of the technology. We weren't sure if we're going to get a feel for the applicants, if they were going to get a feel for us, or if anything was going to work at all. And I'd say in the grand scheme of things, it's going quite well. I feel like we're getting good applicants. I'm getting to know them quite well. They're getting to know our program well. And it's running fairly smoothly. So I'm quite impressed with uh, everybody's efforts towards this and how it's been going thus far. There's been some important challenges so far this year. I'll point out the AAMC sent really an unusual open letter to all the stakeholders, not just in emergency medicine, but you know throughout all specialties, acknowledging things like interview hoarding by the students and just really the overall impact of over-interviewing. So I don't know if you've experienced this or have any observations of this phenomenon. Yeah, I think that letter was was shocking. It was quite alarming. I think it caused a lot of concern in a lot of different stakeholders. It's something that I've never seen before from the AAMC. My DIO who got the same letter has never seen before. And I, I think it created a little bit of anxiety, maybe appropriately so. It did, however, acknowledge that there is probably a little bit of a problem with this as well. And something that as we move forward in next year, we're going to have to acknowledge and, and work out those types of kinks. I'll tell you from our end, it did prompt us to re-email our clerkship directors, re-email our students, ask the students if they're holding additional interviews to start keeping them up reassure them about the numbers of the match and the system to match and how it's going to work for them and that they don't need 30, 40, 50 interviews, that getting that 15, 16 is good enough and that they can start giving these up and be reassured that they're going to match into a program and, and have success and hopefully allow some other people that are solid candidates to get some more interviews in the next months before the, uh, the rank lists are due. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to interject and, and just say, you know, the party line on EMH advice for years has been 12 interviews is what gets you to, I don't know, the 97th percentile likelihood of matching um, from NRMP data tables. So so students, you know, really 12 is your magic number. Anything beyond that, you're just sort of padding in, in an unnecessary manner. And it's nice that you could put out that message to your students 
to start dropping interviews. I don't know that most students have enough interviews right now. I, you know, I think the message has been the students with the, the very top boxes on their, their slows have perhaps benefited, but beyond that, students are really having a tough time getting to that magic number of 12. What do you think is causing this disparity among the students? I think a little bit is the, the lack of travel and the lack of need to actually go to the programs. You know, our initial invites went out with a similar pool of applicants that we've seen for years, and our cancellation rate is minimal, if any. Typically, over the holiday break time, we get a large number of cancellations as people reevaluate things, have gone on a lot of interviews, and we've seen almost no cancellations. So a lot of the people that were extremely good applicants that were just not invited for an interview on the first sweep, unfortunately, are not getting pulled in off of our waitlist because everybody's interview spots are full. So I think that that cancellation rate is really where we're missing things because I think the cost of one more interview is very minimal. You know, put on your suit, turn on your Zoom, and give yourself a couple hours to interview. And the time and the travel and the finances and the costs are not there. And so the anxiety behind all of this and the concern from the students that they're not going to match into their desired specialty is probably driving the decreased cancellation rate, which is leading to these these applicants that are really good and and will likely do outstandingly well in emergency medicine, not having the numbers that they would have had in previous years. So you think it's this virtual season and accessibility that's really to blame. It's not that you got a ton more applicants, for instance, this year than you have in past years, or the numbers are inflating in, in other ways. No, I don't think so. I, th- I think that we're going to see, hopefully, when the match comes, that the numbers hopefully will bear out well. I don't think there's a significant increase in number of applicants. We got a few more applications than we normally did, but not excessive. I really think it's it's this cancellation rate and the ease of doing additional interviews that there's just really very minimal downside to doing an additional interview other than, you know, like I said, just, just getting on, on Zoom and spending a couple hours with an additional program. If this is a real problem right now, and you know, we're in early January, we have, you know, at least another month, if not more, to, to see interviews get completed. What can be done? What, what should be done by our community? Yeah, I think that there's been a lot of talk on the cord listserv and, and suggestions and opportunities that program directors really want to try to help with this. And I think that programs want to match. They want to fill. Students want to match. They want to fill. I think it, we all have the same goal for this. And there's been a lot of talk about adding additional interview positions, really encouraging students that are over that mark to kind of decrease and cancel additional interviews to allow more people access to them. And I think our community is going to come together and do that. I know that we added an additional interview day for this when that cord idea came out. I thought that was a reasonable thing to do, although our faculty is strapped like everybody else with the COVID concerns and increased work and increased demands on our time. It was troublesome, but I think that it's important to allow us to meet more applicants that are very good and, and potentially have a good shot at matching at our program. So I think there are going to be more interview spots opening up. I think that students really need to think about where they want to go. And like Kami said, reach out to us, tell us why you want to be here, talk to us, engage with us, and really convince me that this is the place that you want to be. And hopefully you can find some spots to get some additional interviews and, and match in a desired location. You know, I'm curious about this, right? You're adding interview days and, and you know, there were many programs, mine included, who came into the season anticipating that there would be more students either holding interviews or just more students in the pipeline to begin with. So we sort of added a couple of days because we were unsure. And I think most programs did that. Now we're adding a few more days and, you know, it becomes this spiral, right? If the students are over-interviewing and we're over-interviewing, there's got to be a point where somebody's going to get the short end of the stick in this process, right? So do you have predictions about this upcoming match? Do you think we're going to have more unmatched students because there's there's not enough interviews to go around? Do you think the programs have interviewed too much and they're going to have some open spots uh, at the time of the soap? What, what's your magic ball tell you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really hopeful that 
we interviewed enough people and opened up enough additional spots that the worst that's going to happen is that we go slightly further down on our rank list than we normally would have in previous years. And that's my real hope and my real hope for emergency medicine as this year progresses on. I think we have a lot to think about in the off season about what has happened and what's going to happen next year and how to improve this process. But just like them, we, we already added additional spots this year and now we're adding additional spots. And are we part of the problem of just this cycle of perpetual interviews that is just getting way too high for everybody to handle? And I think that CORD and the, the program directors and the AAMC all need to come together to make some decisions about how to prevent this from next year. But my real hope for the match is that there will not be a massive soap, that people will still match into desired programs, and that possibly that our list is a little bit longer than normal. And we may go a little bit further down, which is by no means the end of the world, if that's the worst that happens. I have a question for you. You know, I love crystal balls. And there's this game of over under. And I'm curious, with your own crystal balls on this panel, I'm wondering if uh, you guys would weigh in. Do you feel like the SOAP number, the past few years, let me read to you, since 2016, there has been one open slot, zero, 10, 30, and then last year, 2020, there are 13 open spots. Curious to think if our number for 2021 will be over under 30, let's say. Maybe if we could start with Cami and kind of come across. Curious what you think. You know, Michelle, that's a really good question. And I like crystal balls and I like magic eight balls too. But once again, I said before, hope's not a strategy. But I'm going to be hopeful that we are going to have a match that looks very similar to previous years with all of the really strong recommendations from the big organizations and all the program directors really getting together. And we're not going to see much change. I think there will end up being a few more students that may need to soap and programs that have never had an open spot before that may have one. But I don't think it's going to be an overwhelming amount if I had to make a guess. Right. I would happily agree with that. I'm on, I'm on the positive outlook side as well of that this year is going to be not significantly different than previous years. I think do a lot to the upfront work of the programs and from the large organizations, as well as the hard work on the applicant standpoint. I'm going to go way under 30 for the SOAP this year, way under. I, I've seen some really tremendous behavior from the students this year, and I really think they're being responsible. I think there's plenty of spots. That there's a lot of anxiety this year, but I'm pretty confident that in the end, people are going to get where they want to go and where they deserve to go. And, and the programs are going to get some really good classes. I go way under 30. Do I get to answer, Michelle? I, yeah, I absolutely. No I'm, curious. The, I'm curious. I'm yeah, curious. I, I don't know what the total applicant pool numbers are. I, I haven't looked yet. I mean, they, they do release some of this, these data a bit early, but I don't know. I All of this stress that, that's being reported from the, the students and the extra interview days from, from some programs, I bet not all the programs added extra days. I don't think they deepened their list. My guess is there's no way all 250 programs did this. And I bet there's going to be a bunch of programs holding some empty spots that they didn't anticipate at the same time that we might see a little bit, you know, a dozen or so more students go un unmatched, right? Which you would think those things should equal out and there should be zero, zero. But, but if the behaviors are such that, you know, that, that they haven't protected themselves right in the right way, they haven't padded their list by, by adding dates, et cetera. I don't know. I think people are going to, they're going to be holding the ball at the end. I know that's, that's my prediction. I'm going to be the pessimist of the group. What do you think? I'm with you. I'm a little bit on the pessimistic side. I'm going to go about 50. I just throwing it out there. All right. Prove right, me wrong. Well, we're going to do our episode PD reflect on the 2021 match you know, sometime in April. So we'll see if we're right. We'll see if we predict correctly. All right. We're going to go to our final panelist, Dr. Michael Kimini from Loma Linda. Mike, uh, we've already heard how it started, how it's going. So let's instead go to a discussion of lessons learned. We're certainly learning as we go this season. And I don't want us to miss an opportunity to reflect really a, a bit mid-process. And my fear is that much of the innovations like you know, that, that can be talked about that emerged are going to be lost, right? If we just 
comfortably go back to old approaches out of habit. So I want to play a game. Are you up for playing a game? I, I would love it. All right. I love the gameplay. Let's play keep it, fix it, burn it. All right. So keep it. What do we keep for next year? What were the innovations you think are worth keeping? The most obvious thing that we should keep for next interview season uh, is virtual interviews. I think we all had a lot of angst and there was a lot of uncertainty about how is it going to go on Zoom all day interviewing? What's it going to look like? How can I assess someone without shaking their hand? It was awesome. It was super easy. It was really seamless. And shout out to all the program coordinators and especially my own who in October had never heard of Zoom and now is halfway through a seamless, flawless interview season and and knows the intricacies of breakout rooms and all that good stuff. It's gone really, really well. It's super uh, time and cost effective for the applicants, which we have been debating and researching for many, many years on why are we uh, kind of creating all this cost and extra, extra burden for students. Virtual interviews have been fantastic. Yeah, sainthood for all of the coordinators, right? I mean, this has just got to be such a nightmare year between conference and interview season. I really, I don't know how they did it this year. So I, I agree with you. So I, I'm just fascinated by this, right? So you want to keep virtual interviews in, in what way, right? Just replicate this season entirely? Because I'm, I'm going to guess there are a ton of programs that didn't have the positive experience that Loma Linda had, that didn't have the tech and the coordinators and the faculty were, were engaged in the, the way that you're talking about. And they're going to be right ready to go back to, to in-person. So how are you going to do it? Are you just going to replicate a completely virtual interview season? No one's coming to campus in the Valley? I, you know, I think we will most likely go a, go a hybrid uh, version of interview season next year and offer applicants the option of, do you want to come to campus for a specific interview date and, and kind of walk around and interview with us in our offices? Or do you want to log on on Zoom? I think the important part of that is hopefully at some point in the not too distant future, we'll be able to travel again. And combining a virtual interview with a site visit for the handful of programs that someone's really interested in, I think makes a lot of sense. You can kind of time it for yourself. You can cut down on cost. You can do it when it's convenient. You don't have to beg for time off for your cardiology rotation or whatever you're doing at that time. I think it's a big win for applicants, time-wise, for education-wise, for, for their cost. And I think, honestly, I found it a lot more convenient on, on our side. I think, I think a hybrid makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant innovation. That's great. And you know, anything you can do that give fourth year students back their fourth year so they can actually learn something in medical school, I think is a really positive change. And so so your comments really lead into fix it, right? So, you know, how it started, how it's going is a lens to look at change. But you know, what what might grow from our experiences just with a little tinkering? You kind of talked about one thing, but other what other things need a little fixing? You know, the the most obvious thing that needs fixing about uh, interview and recruitment uh, season is application explosion. It has to be dealt with. It's, I don't know about everyone else, but Loma Linda saw 20% more applications this year. And it is virtually impossible to holistically review a thousand applications. And that's, you know, I'm guessing that's what the average is going to be this year for programs. And that's a disservice to students, right? You have to kind of fall back on more objective measures that are kind of easily quantifiable. And that's not at all the direction that I think the specialty wants to go. So this is such a such a massive problem that I really think the big kind of power players and, and the people in charge are really going to have to weigh in and, and do something about this. I'm a big proponent for preference signaling. I think it would make a ton of sense. And I, and I think it really could help out a lot. I'm not so enthusiastic about application caps or interview caps. But something needs to happen. It's too much for a single program to meaningfully review and invite uh, applicants this way. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, application limits at first glance seem seem really great, but they you know disenfranchise some students. Some students just have to overapply a little bit because of whatever circumstances. And you know, when you create an, an unequal or unfair playing field, that's just not right. Preference signaling doesn't cost anybody anything. So you know how it how it mechanically works and strategically works is a different issue, but um, it doesn't necessarily disenfranchise. Um, all right, so burn it. This is sort of my favorite one. What do we simply need to burn? What what are the aspects of the virtual residency interview season, if any, that just never need to be seen again. Can I say I would burn COVID-19? Yeah, okay? you could burn, sure. <laughs> the virus is burned. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't pay attention in my preclinical years enough. Can we burn the phrases, I think you're on mute, and let me see if I can share my screen? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know that I would burn a whole lot about this season. If I could do one thing I would ask all the residency fairs to replicate the way that the Emmer residency fair did it. I thought it was so, so much better than everyone else's version. I guess not to compare. I thought it was so user-friendly and so effective. Like it really impacted the way that I, that I interviewed people and the way that I, that I invited people. It was so good. I, I hope we never go back to the scrum in the conference room at ASAP. If that thing burns and goes away forever, I would be very happy. I think the virtual EMRA residency fair was fantastic. I love that. That's great. And the current students listening never had to experience the hell that was the conference centers. So <laughs> I 100% agree. Michelle, what, what other questions do you have for the panelists? I really don't. I just admire what you guys do. I sit in front of Zoom for one hour and then I, I need like an eight hour nap. So for the fact that you guys can interview back to back to back, like I'm curious what your between interview uh, rituals might be to kind of get hyped up again between each hour. I'm curious what you do. Maybe you can help me and I can steal from your, your ideas on how to get hyped up for each meeting. I can take that, Michelle, a little bit. We're, I mean, we're blessed here uh, to have a Starbucks on site. It definitely gets pretty amazing business on interview days. <laughs> I will tell you one of the really interesting things is that we don't do any discussion about applicants in between interview sessions. We just completely let everybody go. Occasionally, we'll, if we have the funding, we'll buy some lunch, but we don't debrief. We just let you go out. And then at the end, we debrief because we were feeling the same thing. It was just this like monotony feeling. I will say one good thing in some time we got back in our life was having our kind of dog and pony introduction show pre-recorded. So they all watch that before they come. That gives us that kind of hour back of our lives to be productive in more facets. Since you'd added more interview days, you know, an hour a day of interviews that's helped quite a bit as well. And not having to be so redundant every day that you used to have to do and show up and put on this dress up outfit and <laughs> really make sure that you were perfect every day. Yeah, that's so much more efficient use of your time because it's really not so much of a dialogue as more of a monologue, that intro, and then you can kind of start fresh. And it's really consistent because I couldn't guarantee if I showed up on maybe a day where my child was peeing her pants on the way to school that I was going to be 100% on and give the same content every single day. And so do the students get a fair you know, show? Uh, now I know I actually watched it before we recorded the podcast. So I could just remember and get excited about my program again. Awesome. Awesome. Ryan, will you have any rituals between your uh, interviews? Well, up in Rochester, it's getting uh, pretty cold outside. Quick uh, dip outside without your jacket on, 30, 25, 10 degrees in the face will really wake you up from four or five or six hours of Zoom straight. So I, I like getting up and just getting outside, getting some fresh air. 
our Starbucks is across the street. So I will poke in there as well and, and grab a quick cup of coffee and walk back. And that really seems to rejuvenate me. It only takes five or 10 minutes out there to wake you back up and reinvigorate you to get back in there and do some more interviewing. That's awesome. I feel like the coffee industry, and in case of uh, Dr. Shasandi there, the, the wine industry has really picked up during the COVID season. 100%. <laughs> and Mike, what, what's, your, what's your interview ritual? There's a fair bit of caffeine. You know what I find keeps us going throughout our long interview days is a, is a healthy dose of dad jokes. The crew just loves them. They ask for them. I think they ask for them to stop, but I keep them coming anyways. Um, and that, that really lightens the mood. I, well, I don't know. I like it at least. That's, that's the essence of a good dad joke. It's just, <laughs> just as long as you like it, right? The louder the groan, the better. All right. Well, uh, this has been a great discussion at, I think, a, a stressful time for, for programs and applicants. So thank you guys so much. You know, for our gratitude, it's time to have a commercial. Um, we're going to learn a little bit about your programs in the segment, Tell Me What I Don't Know About Your Program. And we're going to start with Dr. Fenning. Tell me something I don't know about Prisma Health USC Greenville. Thank you. What do you not know? Well, coming to start this program, I think I finally figured out what academic community hybrid means. And we are an actual academic community hybrid. We have faculty that are really from over, I think it's 103 residencies that come here or that came here to actually teach, but they didn't come here just to teach in the ivory tower. So you really get a balance of community medicine where you don't have an ENT resident to come down and drain your peritonsillar abscess or a train of fellows and students. You get that, but you also get the benefits of an academic center with our, we're tied in with Clemson University, Furman University, and then the medical school on campus. So you've got the benefit of evidence-based medicine and all the resources that you need. And you definitely have other residency programs represented, but you finally find that place where the balance is there that you can enter residency without having any clue what you want to do and know that you will get exposure to everything to make the right decision going out. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. Your reputation precedes you guys. You right out of the gate had so many successes, so many great faculty poaches, frankly, not just faculty hires who poached really well. And, uh, you know, my in-laws are from South Carolina and we spent our time in Greenville and it's just a beautiful place to uh, live and to train. So students absolutely check out Prisma Health USC. And uh, Dr. Bodkin, let's hear a little bit about Rochester. Tell me something I don't know about UR. Yeah, I think maybe people don't know how long we've been a program. We are a very well-established program. We're celebrating our 27th year of training residents. So we are well-established, have a good process for training residents and a really deep bench of alumni. I think our residents come in, get outstanding training. And, and certainly we noticed this year with the contraction of the job market, especially with COVID, that utilizing that alumni network to help our residents get out there, find positions, and the locations they want to go in the future has been a really powerful resource for us. I think that the you know the knowledge that our residents come out with, the name of the University of Rochester, and the, the, the kind of consistent performance of the residents that we put out really goes a long way for them finding jobs that they want in locations they want in the future. So we've been excited about uh, the, the time we've been doing this, excited about changing and keeping up with the times, but it's something we've been doing for a, a long, long time and something we're going to continue to do. Yeah, you know, talking about where families are from, I'm from Albany, you know, Ryan, and uh, Rochester by far is the best city in upstate New York. And that's that's from the kid who came from another city. I say there's always a competition between the, uh, the the big cities on the 90 route across New York State. So I appreciate the uh, the vote of confidence for Rochester. Yeah, it's not much of a competition. Um, you know, I'll just say you guys have such great faculty, Dr. Nove and so many others. But I'm going to tell a quick story. Michelle, can I tell a quick story? In 1998, when I was a third year student at the SAM medical student forum, you know, where you go and you have lunch and the faculty sit down with you and tell you stuff. 
Dr. Schneider was the faculty member who sat next to me and told me a bunch of things. And like my Angela, I don't know what she actually taught me, but I remember she treated me really well. And I sort of saw her speak at different conferences and it'll always stick with me as one of the, the first emergency physicians to, uh, to mentor me. So, you know, that carries on today at Rochester. So uh, students absolutely check out UR. And we're going to close with Loma Linda. Dr. Kimini, tell me something I don't know about Loma Linda. Loma Linda is a three-year residency program. We've been around since 1984 and have been doing it for a long time in Southern California. We've got a lot of really good parts about our residency education experience, uh, really strong education in pediatric emergency medicine led out by our, our wonderful PEM faculty in conjunction with our fellowship. We've got a really robust global health experience and for folks that are interested in, in kind of going out and doing outreach uh, internationally. And then a really innovative medical education experience for our, for our residents where you spend a month learning to do med ed and even get to contribute with our uh, uh, education digital platform, uh, the Gurney Room. The biggest part about our program is we really emphasize putting people first, respecting patients, and being about service and, and serving our community. Uh, and that's really the highlight of what, what we're about at Loma Linda. Yeah, Loma Linda, long and storied program in Southern California with a great med ed history. So students absolutely check out Loma Linda. Michelle, thanks for having us today. We'll see you in our next episode post-match, post-match. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Emergency Medicine Match Advice. You can view any of our episodes for free on Alium's YouTube channel, or if you prefer, listen to the episodes as Alium Podcasts on SoundCloud. Also, check out summaries of our episodes as blog posts on Alium.com and in the publication, A User's Guide to the Alium EM Match Advice Series, in the June 2017 issue of the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. We love to hear from our listeners. Post your questions or comments for any of our episodes on alium.com. Thanks for joining us.